0: Your money can do more. Brought to you by Stanlib. Invest for more certainty, more returns, and more impact. Stanlib. Imagine more. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. What is the future of money and investment in an increasingly uncertain world? Stock market crashes, financial system meltdowns, political upheaval, climate change, war and disease technological advancements that we can scarcely believe. This is what may await us in the not-so-distant future. So what are the smartest investment decisions to make today to face that tomorrow? Welcome to the Stanlib Your Money Can Do More podcast podcast. My name is Bongani Bingwa. This six-part podcast aims to promote the idea that there are many ways to invest, whether the investor is aiming for more certainty, more return, or more impact. My co-pilot is Stand-Up's Chief Economist, Kevin Lings, and on each episode, we're going to be joined by experts who are going to help us navigate and plan for tomorrow today. So let's dive straight into it. Kevin, it's a great pleasure to be hosting this with you and to learn about the possibilities from the world of Stanlib and what it means for potential investors.
1: Thanks, Bungani. It's certainly an exciting series, I think. There's so much that's been happening around the world over the last, let's go back 10 years, think about how much has developed. Uh, If you go back to the global financial market crisis in 2008, 2009, if you think about South Africa, once President Zuma took over and all of the factors that unraveled in South Africa, around corruption and deterioration in our fiscal parameters. South Africa lost its uh, investment-grade credit rating. Now we've got the COVID crisis. And all of that represents a challenge for investors, right? Everybody wants to get a good return no matter what the circumstances are. And I think when people invest, they hope the fund manager is going to do just that. So I think it's been an interesting phase, if you like. I think many people have been concerned about what that would mean for their investments and whether or not they're going to be able to have enough money to retire. But when we look back at it, it's actually not been a bad phase to be invested in equity markets or the bond market. And if you look at how much foreigners own of South African government bonds, it's 30 percent. They own 30 percent. And think about all the difficulties that the South African government has gone through in the last 10 years. Think about the deterioration in the fiscal parameters. And you think, why are foreigners owning 30%? And the reason is because they get a very decent return. And I think those are the types of messages we want to get across. It's, yes, there is a difficult economic environment, but that doesn't mean that you can't invest and
0: obviously plan for the future. Bet on South Africa, bet on the RAD. So, Kevin, I did a little digging into your background. You were born in Hillbrow, Your parents were involved in mining and you moved around the country in your youth. But you ended up settling in Johannesburg after studying... Would it be fair to say then that you almost fell into this profession a little by accident? You wanted to be an accountant.
1: That's right. So I knew I wanted to be in finance, but if you said to me which part of finance back then, I was at school, I had absolutely no idea. And so I asked people, and they said, Well, you've got to be a chartered accountant. And I said, Why? And they said, Because chartered accountants make lots of money. And if you'd asked me back then, What does a chartered accountant do? I don't think I would have known. And so that's the course I embarked on. I studied to be a chartered accountant. And it was only when I really completed my studies and I realized this is not for me. I just couldn't face that world. And so fortunately, I went back to university, I continued my economic studies. And from there, I went into economics and quite quickly went into asset management. And it's been a phenomenal choice as far as I'm concerned. I certainly couldn't have made a career out of being an accountant. And for me, economics and the world of investing is is certainly an exciting
0: environment. Well, talking about that, this podcast is essential about how to prepare for the future with respect to investment. You know all too well what happens to a society that doesn't save for a rainy day. So your backstory from a mining community that lived in excess assuming the taps would never run dry is particularly instructive.
1: Oh absolutely and what struck me back then was that the mines put away nothing for the future. Everything they got they really just consumed. There wasn't this idea of tough times are ahead so we need to build up some sort of reserve. And so when tough times arrived, in other words, when it became more difficult to extract the gold, when the price of gold wasn't going up the way they would ideally have wanted, gee, the mines came under pressure very quickly. And then they had to reconstruct themselves. And and, and that started the demise of the mining industry. And I think the mines could have done a lot more to help themselves. Yes, now you find that we've got fewer mines. They're more consolidated. Some of them are profitable, but it's not the industry that uh, exists. And it's a it's a very important message, both in terms of people's careers. You've got to recognize that things change and that you may be in an industry that's flourishing at the moment, but it may not be around literally in five or 10 years' time. And it's an important factor you've got to take on board. And equally, from the point of view of investing, you may be investing in some technology company now that seems phenomenally good. Let's take Facebook. You think Facebook is is really a happening place, but who knows, in 10 years' time, it may not exist and we may have other technology. Technologies. So it's an important lesson. What seems certain now over the longer term undoubtedly is going to
0: change. Your research is largely used to inform Stanlib's asset management investment process and embraces the philosophy that everything should be made as simple as possible but not simpler. What does that mean?
1: Well, so there are two elements to that. What I noticed when I moved into the industry was that it was filled with jargon. And once you get behind the jargon, the concepts are actually not that difficult. And what makes the concepts appear difficult is the jargon. And to be fair, every industry's got that. If I talk to our IT guy, I hear jargon and I really don't know what he's talking about. If I go and see my doctor, I hear a whole lot of words that I don't know what they really mean. And so my view was that there's no point discussing the economic world or the investment world unless the person you're talking to really understands. So you've got to get rid of that jargon and you've you've got to digest the information into the essence. What is this really about? Now, that doesn't mean that you've got to get rid of the complexity because in many respects, the complexity matters. The details are important. How particular instruments are traded is crucial. So you don't want to get rid of that because then you oversimplify it and you potentially then get hurt by the fact that you're not paying attention to the detail. And it's trying to find that balance. And I think it's been my whole career is trying to connect with an audience by simplifying the topic, but still pick up the essence of what's important.
0: So let's come then to south africa we find ourselves once more faced by any number of uncertainties right there's the pandemic but on a number of other fronts politics the economy our influence on the continent our role in the world climate change the future of technology there are so many balls up in the air
1: That's right. So if, as we said at the beginning, if you look back over the last 10 years, there's been so much happening. And in the world of investing, you obviously need to take all of those factors into account and you need to try and find a path in terms of where you're going to invest. And some of these developments can be quite scary on the face of it. They can be quite disruptive. They can suggest to you that perhaps you shouldn't be investing in, say, government bonds or you shouldn't be investing in South African assets at all. If you think about the the news headlines around just the Zonder Commission alone would tell you this has been a tough environment. So it's a world of change and the change is perpetual. It's about understanding what is that change and how do you navigate through that. So don't ever sit there thinking that you're going to be in an environment where nothing is changing, nothing's new, nothing's a shock. That is constant. It's about what do you do with your money to see through all of those events.
0: If we bet on the RAND, is it a bit of of a backhanded compliment because it's the high risk that gives us the high reward.
1: It is to some extent. Obviously, you know, if you are invested purely in rands, then you are concentrating your investments significantly. By that, I mean South Africa is less than half a percent of the world. So, in effect, what you're saying is I'm going to put all of my investments into, let's say, half a percent of the world. That isn't necessarily advisable because by implication, what you're saying is there no other investments in the other 99.5% out there that are worthy of attention. That's not true true. And so in a portfolio generally nowadays, you always say, let's go and look internationally and find the best types of investments. That doesn't mean you exclude South Africa. We live here, we work here, we've got to earn our money in rands, etc. And they're very good opportunities in this country. But it's about, again, finding that
0: balance. The world is a big place indeed. So listening to our conversation is our special guest, the independent scenario strategist, facilitator, speaker, top selling business author, lecturer and 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 also the founding partner of Mind of a Fox, Chantal Elbury. Chantal, welcome to our podcast. Crudely, perhaps part of your job is to gaze into a crystal ball and throw the bones and anticipate what comes next. For South Africa, are any of the scenarios good and what could they mean for investment?
2: Okay, so I do everything. I throw the bones, I look into the crystal ball, I see what else is indicating things to come in our future. But basically, I try to use the principles of good thinking and connecting the dots and imagining scenarios and as Kevin says it is very uncertain there are a lot of balls in the air and they are colliding some of them are interacting and we're getting a few scenarios at play that perhaps are not our best case scenarios in South Africa so I think there are two key uncertainties And they surround our social cohesion and the relationship between government, business and society and our economy, on the other hand, because we are in a weak economy and we went into the pandemic with a weak economy. So really, there is a cautionary tale scenario where we could go into a free fall, where our economy remains very weak and our level of social cohesion in the country declines even further. This means policy uncertainty, increasing mistrust and a very difficult place to operate in. And I think the concept of structural reform in the country is Very critical at this point in time. We can start to build jobs and grow the economy. It would have to be far more inclusive. And that means that big business and bringing small business into the space. And you'll probably find in the big business space, we're going to see some consolidation and some big businesses will become even bigger than they were in the past. At the moment, that looks like a very low probability of playing out in the next couple of years. So from our point of view, um, if we are going into a beta scenario from an economic perspective in the next three years, um, which would include looking at investment options, it will probably be a mind the gap Scenario where big business comes back onto the playing field. As I said previously, it's probably going to be going to see some consolidation and big business is becoming even bigger, but small business is not there. And that means the haves and the have nots, the gap between them gets much bigger. And that means that social cohesion and tensions. Well, tensions rise and social cohesion declines even more so it is a place where you can find opportunity but it's
0: not for the faint-hearted not for the faint-hearted indeed coming up later in this podcast
1: i'm not in any way suggesting private sector must take over control of everything but this partnership can become very effective in delivering an outcome positive outcome for south africa
0: has your money been acting quite impulsively? Your money shouldn't always have its way because the more cautious you are now, the more spontaneous you can be later. Your money can do more with Stanlib's balanced cautious fund. Invest with more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib, imagine more. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. Kevin, StatsSA, tells us uh, that fewer than 38 out of every 100 of us of a working age actually do so. Gross fixed capital formation is lower than expected. We're not only shedding jobs, we're not spending on the things that would create them in the future.
1: That's exactly the crux of the problem. So if you want to create jobs, you need business. You can't have a society where government is the sole provider of jobs. It's just not affordable. And I think we have finally recognized that in this country. So you've got to use the private sector to generate the job creation or do the heavy lifting, if you like. In order for the private sector to do that, though, you need more businesses. You need existing businesses to expand and you need new businesses to start up. And all of that is called fixed investment. So the crux of creating jobs is fixed investment. But in order to get the fixed investment, you fundamentally need confidence. You never find a society where people lack confidence and yet they invest. That just doesn't happen. If I said to you, go and invest in Afghanistan, are you going to do it? And the answer would be, hell no. I've got no confidence in that system. Even if I offered you this phenomenal interest rate or I said a zero interest rate, whatever, you're still not going to do it. So you need to have an an environment in which investment can take place, an enabling environment. Once you've got that enabling environment and you've got confidence, then you'll start to see the money flow. Now, the bizarre thing in South Africa is that the money's there. When you look at the private sector and private sector business, and I guess particularly big business, they've got the money. They've got the balance sheet. Government doesn't have the balance sheet because they've squandered it. So the test for South Africa is how do we unlock this phenomenal balance sheet that's in the name of the South Africa big business. And I would say to you, you've got two options. One, you can try and force that unlock. It won't work. You'll find that money finds a home somewhere else outside of South Africa. Money doesn't respond to coercion. So what you need to do is you need to entice that money. And that enticement is create the enabling environment, create a level of confidence, and then business will start to invest at every level. Once you get investment, then you start to get jobs. Now, the beautiful thing about jobs is once you create jobs, let's say that you create 500,000 jobs in a year. It becomes self-fulfilling because 500,000 new people who've all got a shiny new salary go out and buy things and that act alone then creates more economic activity, which then entices businesses to employ even more people. Now you've got more employment and that creates more activity and you get this virtuous cycle. So the trick is, how do you kickstart the system? How do you get the system going? And in South Africa, the system is stuck and it's stuck because private private sector has no confidence. And you can understand why. Look at the electricity, look at politics, look at corruption. I can name a myriad of factors that have dented confidence. The answer, get business feeling confident and you'll get the growth.
0: In the meantime, Chantal, the rest of the world isn't waiting for us to get our act together. Artificial intelligence, investment in new technologies, robotics. In our current context, those things may seem a little remote from reality. But you know, the future has a habit of arriving uninvited. Are we prepared?
2: I don't think South Africa is prepared for the future, to be very honest with you. You know, I've been working up in East Africa and um, getting onto the internet and Wi-Fi is very easy. Being on a Zoom meeting, etc., is very easy. In South Africa, it's not. So I think we're already behind the times in a technological space. And I would even bring it as far into our disconnect with education. And the future has hit us very quickly, as you say, with the pandemic, where we've had to switch to a technology based engagement platform. So I don't think our education system is ready for technology, which is going to be a given. And those skills then move into the workplace, which is changing. It's not traditional as it was in the past. So being able to work with technology is going to be a critical skill into the future. So I think we're still trying to grow an economy in a traditional sense and create jobs, perhaps for more unskilled workers to come into play. But the future is going towards technology. So unless we can upskill, I think we're going to get further and further behind.
0: Kevin, in his new book, Noam Chomsky quotes the largely forgotten preface to George Orwell's Animal Farm. Anyone who challenges the prevailing orthodoxy finds himself silenced with surprising effectiveness. What prevailing orthodoxies do you rail against?
1: I would say at the moment, there are quite a few. Certainly in South Africa, this this notion that in order to have a successful society, you've got to have a large and all-encompassing state. In other words, that the government needs to control so many aspects of our lives and determine pretty much how we progress. And I think what that does is it negates the role of the private sector And I think when you delve into the private sector, South African business wants this country to be successful as anybody else. Their own livelihood, their careers, it depends on that success. And I think that there's this antagonism that persists at some level between government and business. And to me, if we could just see that we both have the same objective in mind and that if we could work together and the examples of where we've worked together, I would say they've been phenomenally successful. The most recent is the COVID vaccination. Absolutely. It's been successful because you've had private sector work with government. I think the energy provision is going to show you exactly that example. Government working, with private sector. I'm not in any way suggesting private sector must take over control of everything, but this partnership can become very effective in delivering an outcome, positive outcome for
0: South Africa. Chantal, the world's best selling camera is actually a phone. People buy wristwatches, not because they want to tell time, but perhaps (coughs) they want to know how much time they have left. They're tracking fitness and levels of wellness. In fact, we're beginning to use tech devices to measure mental health, levels of relaxation and even mindfulness. What other scripts are being flipped? Inside out, as we speak.
2: I think a lot of traditional companies being completely disintermediated because technology is connecting producer and consumer in in consumer together. So I think there's quite a lot of flipping occurring within the value chain because of technology. The interesting thing for me about technology, and certainly going into the future, is technology can't do everything for us. We keep thinking artificial intelligence and this and that. It's going to take Take over all of our jobs. And I don't think that is the case. The case is how do humans and technology develop side by side? And I think that's our strategic question. How do we use technology to enable, to create some efficiencies, to change the way we do things? But we would still have the thought processes and the thinking behind it. So the question is, how do you enable a human and technology to optimise
0: that relationship? It's an aid, not a rival. Kevin, then, you no doubt have heard that Methuselah, the first person who's going to live to 150, has already been born. There are differing estimates as to what his or her current age might be. But now, assuming many people listening to us may give him a run for his money, how should they think about the future of investment?
1: I think it's a critical factor. I think we we think way too short term, generally. We think that you know, two or three years is a long-term investment, whereas in reality we've got to have a mindset or get closer to a mindset that says 20, 30, 50 years is, is what we're really after and it's not just about trying to lock up money for that length of time it's about understanding the opportunities that are presented to people as they age. So let me, let me give you a thing that I was fascinated by in the last economic upswing in the United States, which was one of their longest economic upswings, the fastest growing area of employment was people over the age of 70, fastest growing area of employment. So that means people are going back to work at the age of 70. They retired, they decided they didn't like that environment, they went back to work and there was a huge number of those individuals doing that. Now think about the South African context. When was the last time we hired somebody, interviewed somebody that was over the age of 70? And what I'm suggesting is not just about how long you, you live, it's about what are your interests what do you want out of life? And and there's so many people now that at the age of 55 are saying, well, I'm stopping this work environment and now I'm going to do something I really wanted. And they embark on a whole new career at the age of 55 and they become very successful with that. So I think that that idea of longevity, of investing for the longer term, or people living longer, we have to really embrace that. And I think when you do that, you'll be amazed at what happens to your ability to afford that. In other Words, what investments will generate for you. I've seen so many people go into an investment for one or two or three years. They draw the money out, they use it for some short term goal, and then they don't understand while further on they just don't have the financial wealth to do something more meaningful. And it's, it's an absolute critical factor.
0: Chantal, I'll pose the same question to you. People are expected to live longer. What should they be thinking about the future of investment now?
2: So, from my perspective, investment is not only financial investment it is continual investment in yourself and in your family and I've been asked the question you know I've got an investment portfolio, I'm retired but now my family are starting their own family do they stay in South Africa, do they leave, where are they going to be educated and that's a form of investment as well because it's an investment in skills and capacity and the ability to as Kevin says at age 50 or or 60 say, actually, I'm going to start something else. It's a continual learning process. And we need to build that capability to be able to be agile and adapt to that future. So, you know, I know in Japan, 70 year olds, they've opened up a whole new sector where 70 year olds using their experience can do different types of jobs that younger people wouldn't be able to do. So I think the diversity of age is becoming a critical strategic question. How do you use diversity of age in terms of your workplace scenarios into the future?
0: Kevin, this podcast series is Your Money Can Do More. How does Stanlib step into that workplace? in terms of helping and preparing clients for an uncertain future.
1: Bongani, I think that's exactly the issue. You know, if you think about the stuff that we've discussed today, it's a, it's a myriad of obstacles that seem to be in front of us. In other words, the South African economy is struggling. We've heard from Chantel telling us that uh, the scenario outlook for South Africa is perhaps a little bit challenging. We've heard about how technology is going to change industries in the future and that what we see as vibrant industries today might not be around in 10 years time. If we look at uh, what we think about retirement, uh, what we have in our minds about retiring at the age 55 or 60, that can all change dramatically over the next 20 years and find the retirement age being pushed out or that people start careers, very vibrant careers at the age of 60. And all of that can be quite daunting. It can be quite overwhelming. And I think the message from our perspective is that your money can do more than simply sit in the bank. There's a tendency for people that when they see this much uncertainty, they run to what they regard as the most safe haven investment. And for many people in this country, that's the bank. And it's just not going to give you what you really want. And what you want is a, is a return that's going to firstly beat inflation consistently over a long period of time. And secondly, a return that is itself going to give you a, a consistent level of income. You don't want to find yourself retiring in a particular year and, oh, no, sorry, that was a bad year for the the markets, and so you've lost a significant amount of your investment. And from my perspective, the fund that does that exceptionally well is the standard cautious balanced fund. And the reason why I say that is because it combines most of the asset classes. It's got significant offshore investment. It's got local equities, local bonds. It's got property. It's got a myriad of different assets. So therefore, its performance is not linked to any one factor. And what that does over time is it gives you that consistency of, of returns it dampens down quite a lot of the volatility. The second thing is that the team behind that, I, I would rate. I think they exceptional by South African standards. And what they've been able to do is develop – Over a 10 year period, a return that has consistently exceeded inflation plus 3%. And I think if you're getting that out of your money and you're confident that your money is taken care of, your money is safe in this investment, it's not exposed to a huge amount of risk, it's got some offshore components, and you walk away over a period of time with inflation plus 3% every year over that 10 year period, I think you've done exceptionally well, and you've certainly done a hell of a lot more for your money than you just put it in the bank.
0: And I think on that note, we will leave it. Your money can do more. This is the first episode in our six-part series. I thank our special guest, the futurist author, and so much more, Chantal Ilbury, and of course, Kevin Linz, Stan Chief Economist. Invest for more certainty, more returns, and More impact. Stanlib. Imagine more. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider.